Okay, well, this morning we're going to actually jump into the text of Ephesians. We have done a couple of messages um, related to the study, of course, but yet today we're going to officially jump into the text, looking together today at the first two verses. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, let me read them to you. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the introduction to the epistle, obviously. It's uh, the greeting that Paul uh, gives to the people there uh, in Ephesus. It's a very similar a greeting to what we find throughout the other epistles here in the New Testament. And in, in these couple of verses, you know, the temptation is to just read over them and move on. And uh, yet, you know, actually, if we stop to ponder a bit, we're going to find that there's, there's more here in these first few verses than maybe initially meets the eye. There's, there's something in here for us uh, today. I believe there's a, a specific word the Lord has for us today. So we're, we're just gonna look at these um, couple of verses here and um, beginning with the author himself, beginning with Paul as he introduces himself. Now, a mistake that pastors sometimes make, and I've made this mistake in the past, is to assume that the listeners uh, know everything we're talking about or everyone that we're referring to. Uh, we mentioned these names, and you know, so the assumption is, well, of course, everybody knows who we're talking about. But you know, I've learned over the years that that's not necessarily the case. Uh, so when we come to Paul, uh, it's important to pause for a few minutes and take a look at who this person Paul is. And it's especially important today because um, who he is and what his background was, it's really gonna connect with the overall message that the Lord has for us today. Uh, But just to give you a quick example, kind of a humorous one of how people don't always uh, know know, who we're referring to. I I met a guy years ago, just right out here one morning, And uh, he happened to be a pastor who was visiting from another state, but he was telling me that he originally came to faith here and he had come to church here and, you know, some years ago. And he told me about a funny experience. He said, you know, when I first came here and he was a new Christian, didn't really have any background in the Bible. He said, you know, when I first came here, um, must have been in a study through Genesis or something. He said, you know, Pastor Chuck was always talking about Abraham. And it just seemed like every time I came, Abraham was being mentioned. And he said, you know, I just thought, you know, why, why do they talk about Abraham Lincoln so much down at that church? <laughs> he was dead serious. You know, for him, he didn't have a, uh, you know, a connection with a biblical Abraham or an understanding. The only Abraham he was familiar with was Abraham Lincoln. And so uh, those kinds of things can happen. And I, I think, you know, so often... And I think even, you know, outside of the church, more out in the culture, you know, we quote uh, Paul so frequently because he wrote so much of the New Testament. 
And, and sometimes I even wonder myself when we're saying, well, Paul said this, you know, people probably are wondering, well, you know, who is this Paul guy that they're talking about all of the time? It, what are they, is this Paul McCartney? I mean, you know, <laughs> how, many, how many Pauls would people normally be familiar with? Well, this is Paul, the apostle, who was formerly Saul of Tarsus. And that's where we need to start today. So let's consider for just a moment the background of this man who wrote this epistle. He tells us about himself in various places throughout his writings. Uh, Luke tells us about Paul in his um, history of the early church, the the book of Acts. Uh, In the 22nd chapter of the book of Acts, in the third verse, uh, Paul is He's speaking to this large crowd of people. It's actually a, a lynch mob. They're, they're trying to kill him. He's rescued by the Romans. Uh, he, he's concerned that there's a misunderstanding. They're Jews. He's a Jew. So this is what he says. Gives us a little background as to who he was. He said to them, he said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem, at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a very famous rabbinical uh, instructor. He says, taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous toward God. So these are some of the things that we learn about this man. He was a Jew, obviously. He was born in uh, uh, Cilicia, which was one of the great cities in the empire, Uh, but he was brought up there in Jerusalem. To the Philippians, sometime later, he wrote of his past, and he said this. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That, of course, was commanded in the scriptures. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, he says he was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So, so here's a man who was a Pharisee. If you've read through the Gospels, you will remember that the Pharisees were the, were the most fierce opponents of Jesus. And so here's a man who says in his past, he was part of that group of people. He was a Pharisee, and he describes his zeal. He persecuted the church, he said. Uh, in Acts 26, verses 9 through 11, Uh, Paul is later speaking to King Agrippa, and he gives us a little more insight into what he said to the Philippians. He said, I indeed myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. This is the background of this guy, Paul, who is now about to write uh, a letter concerning the grace of God. And of course, he could write it with authority because he was a man who experienced it. He goes on in his conversation with Agrippa or his defense before Agrippa to tell what happened to him. So he said this, while thus occupied uh, on on my way to uh, Damascus, in other words, he said, I I, I was journeying there with authority and commission from the chief priest 
to apprehend those there. He says, but at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. Rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness. So this is the history that Paul rehearses concerning himself before King Agrippa. He then would later write to Timothy these words, sort of expounding upon that. He said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violently arrogant man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. For this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who were going to believe on him for everlasting life. This man is the author of half of the New Testament. So, you know, it kind of gives us a little bit of a different perspective, doesn't it? When we realize uh, the background of Paul. And as I said, Paul is the apostle of grace. He's the one who expounds the grace of God And he could do it because he was a recipient of this this magnificent grace of God. It transformed his life. It changed him radically. You know, that's one of the things that excites me about about Tommy and and about where God's calling him to, into that that environment there um, (coughs) where, as we said, it's, it's a place where there's, there's drugs and there's violence and there's gang activity and there's, there's all of that. And uh, that's where Tommy came from. That, that was his background. It was drugs and violence and gangs and prison and those kinds of things. And, and God did an amazing transforming work in his life. And now to see how you know, he has that heart to go to people who are in a similar plight as to what he was in and to take them the message that came to him and transformed him. That's thrilling. That's exciting. So that's the background (coughs) on this man who is the human author of the letter Paul. And then he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So he's an apostle. He's an apostle by God's will. God had appointed him to this. Now, just for just quick uh, definition in regard to apostle. Uh, sometimes people ask the question, well, what's the difference between a disciple and an apostle? The Bible, of course, speaks of the disciples of Jesus. And, and these men who would, would come to be known as apostles were also referred to as disciples. Well, a disciple is anyone who follows Jesus. The word implies a, a learner is actually the, the root word, uh, but, but a follower. A disciple is a follower of Christ. But then an apostle is a little bit different. Every apostle is a disciple, but not every disciple is an apostle. 
So what's the difference? Well, the apostles were those that were hand-selected by the Lord and sent out by him as his uh, fully authorized representatives. They were, they were sort of like what an ambassador is. Uh, an ambassador goes into a country and there they, they represent their nation uh, within another nation as, as the fully authorized representative of the nation. That's, that's kind of what the apostles were. We read in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, concerning the, the selection of the apostles, the original 12. We read there, <coughs> and Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. So that was the idea. They came to him, he trained them up, and he sent them out. So Paul was one of them. He wasn't one of the original 12, but he was one, as he would say in another one of his letters, he was one who was born out of due time. He was an apostle, but he was appointed later after Christ had ascended. And so he's writing as an apostle, and the letter is addressed to the saints, the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, the, the very uh, name of the city here, Ephesus, is not in all of the ancient manuscripts. And so some commentators then uh, speculate that the reason that it's not, you don't find it in all the manuscripts is because it was more of a general letter rather than a letter specifically to a church. Now, all of the letters to the churches were to be shared, um, you know, amongst one another. Uh, but this, this letter does seem to be, in a sense, a bit more of a general letter. There's not any real um, Re exact references to Ephesus or the things in Ephesus like maybe Corinth or Galatia or some of these other places, you find that in the letter, Paul references the, the, the city and the, the church and, and so forth. He doesn't do that here in Ephesians. So, but that's sort of regardless of, of whether it should be there or not. Obviously, the epistle is written to the saints everywhere. It was not just intended for those local people there at that time. This, of course, is God's word, and it's written to us today in the place that we're at. It's written to the saints who are the faithful ones in Christ Jesus. It's written to the saints. It's written to you and to me. You might say, well, wait a second, I, I'm not a saint. You know, I, I believe in Jesus, but I you know, wouldn't call me a saint. Um, yes, you are a saint. If you believe in Jesus, you are a saint. The idea that a saint is some extraordinarily holy person, someone who stands uh, uh, above other Christians because of their, their righteousness or spiritual uh, superiority, that's not a biblical idea. That's a false view of a saint. Uh, all of the believers are addressed as saints. The word saint simply means one who is set apart. And so we who believe in Jesus have been set apart by God. We've been called to him and we've been made um, 
his property, his possession. So that's what a saint is, a holy one. Again, the word holy means separate. So we've been separated to God. That's who the letter is to, to the saints and faithful in Christ. And they're one and the same. The saints are faithful. And then these words, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Paul begins every one of his letters with this same type of a greeting, grace and peace to you. In uh, a couple of them, he adds mercy. Uh, But in every one of them, grace and peace to you, and always from God the Father, always from the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's worded a little bit differently, but that's the, the point that he's making. But in every one of his epistles, you find this there. Now, you find it in other places in the New Testament letters as well. Paul didn't write all of the letters in the New Testament. There were other authors. Of course, there was Peter, there was John, there was James. Um, and you find it in their writings as well. But, but Paul always opens his letters with grace and peace. Now, some would say that he does so because this was in keeping with the way that you wrote letters in those days. This is just part of um, the way it was done. You always included in that greeting the grace and the peace. Uh, Grace was the typical Greek greeting. The Greek word is charis. We translate it grace. And um, the Greeks would, would greet one another with charis. And then the Jews, their typical greeting was, and still is today, shalom, which is peace. And so there are those who would say that, you know, well, this is just, you know, in keeping with the way you would write a letter at the time. And I do think that that is true, but I don't think that really tells us enough about what's going on here. Because I want you to notice something. The grace and the peace is not from Paul. He's not saying grace and peace to you from me. He's saying grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see, this is more than just the typical greeting. This is something beyond that. This is a greeting from God himself. All of these letters open with this kind of a greeting. It's, in a sense, to me, It's the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament blessing that that was pronounced by the priest that we read about together this morning. Remember, God said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is the way you're to speak to the children of Israel. You're to bless them. This is how you're to put my name on them. This is what you're to say. The Lord bless you and keep you. And that was the Old Testament pronouncement of blessing. When we come to the New Testament, this is the same thing. The apostles are the equivalent for the New Testament of what the prophets were to the Old Testament. They were the spokespersons for God. And so here, Paul is speaking to them. The very onset of the letter, he's speaking to them on behalf of God, and he's pronouncing a blessing upon them. It's the blessing of grace and peace. And that's what I want to emphasize to us today 
And that's what I want to emphasize as we really now are, are launching into the, the contents of the epistle. It all starts with the grace of God and the peace of God. And as I pointed out in a previous study, uh, so much of this letter focuses on this grace that we're initially greeted with. As we go into this first chapter and through the second chapter and all the way through the third chapter, it's just grace upon grace upon grace. God's just pouring out his grace upon us because the reality is unless I'm really grounded in the grace of God, unless I, I, I really get rooted in that, I'm never going to be able to become all that I potentially can be It's all foundation, the, the foundation of it is the grace of God. And everything I do as a Christian, it needs to be done from that foundation, from that base. And so that's why there's such an emphasis on it. That's why the focus is there. And that's why these are the first words of God to us in the epistle. They are words of grace and peace. The two things... We need the most. We need these two things. We need God's grace. What is God's grace? Well, we will define this over and over again as we go on. But again, let's remember, God's grace is God's favor, God's blessing. But here's the important part. It's unearned. It's undeserved. It's unmerited. Grace is something you don't work for. It's something you don't deserve. It's something that you can't earn. It's just there because of who God is. That's the thing that we've got to know. Because our default mode is always back to performance. It's always back to works. Even those of us who know grace, even those of us who teach grace, there's just something in our, our constitution as people that we can't help, for the most part, uh, but falling back on works and performance as the basis of expectation of God's favor or blessing on our lives. But that's not the way it works. And we've got to, we've got to begin to understand this. So we need God's grace and we need God's peace. We need to know that there's peace between us. We need to know that we're not at war with God and that he's not waging war against us. Think of the many times, if you've read through your Bible, if you've read through the Old Testament, many times when the Lord appears to somebody or an angel appears to somebody, uh, immediately there's obviously fear struck in that person, terror. And what is what does the Lord always say? He always says, peace, peace to you. You see, God wants us to know that there's peace between us and him. Those of us who are his people, there's peace. And so this is the, the, the first word of God. That, that's, that's the way I want you to understand it today. This is God's first word to us. This is the very first thing he says. In all of these letters, his very first word is grace and peace. And that's so important because, look, as we go through life, we don't always do the right thing, do we? We mess up. We sin. 
we don't do the things we should do and we do things we shouldn't do. And because that's the case, inevitably I end up thinking that I'm on the outs with God. God's angry with me. God's not looking to bless me. He's looking to judge me or punish me. That's just, that's where we go with that. And you know, the fact of the matter is what God would say to us is grace and peace as we, as we meet him. You know, some people are afraid to even come in a church because they've messed up so badly. Some people have sinned and, um, you know, backslidden perhaps, and they, they can't come back to a church because they just feel like, you know, if, if I go into the church, I'll just, you know, that's where God will meet me and judge me. But you know what happens when you walk in a, a place where the Spirit of God is present? You know what God would say to you as you're thinking about possibly making your way back into fellowship with him, if that's even possible? You know what his word to you would be? It would be grace and peace. Be like, welcome, grace and peace. Oh, wait, wait, but you, you don't recognize me, do you? <laughs> you're not realizing who, who's walking in the door today, are you? Because surely if you knew it was me, you would not be saying grace and peace. No, he does know it's you and that's exactly what he's saying. It's amazing. That's God's grace. And like I said, the guy who wrote the letter, he knew it better than anybody because that's what happened to him. We'll talk about that in a second, but think about this. This is the reality. Wherever you are today, wherever you are, whether it's a saint desiring to be faithful, that's who this is written to, the saints and the faithful in Christ. But let's be honest, we are saints, but we're not always faithful, are we? We don't always do what we plan to do, what we committed to do, what we said we're gonna do. You know, we make promises that, you know, this week I'm gonna... I'm going to meditate on the Bible more than I've ever done. I'm going to pray more this week than I've ever done. I'm going to share the gospel with more people than I've ever shared with before. Uh, you know, we, we, we make these promises. We have these commitments. We want to do it. And then we, we fail, right? So what's, what's the Lord's word to us? It's grace. His grace is there. I was talking to my son the other day, and as I mentioned before, he's a pastor up in Northern California, and they had a, um, a like a month of prayer kind of a thing, and, um, you know, so as the pastor, he's really exhorting the church, you know, we're going to pray, and we're going to pray more than ever, and, you know, commit yourself to praying, and, uh, you know, all of that, and then, so, you know, I called him, and he sounded really down. I said, what's the matter? How you doing? He says, oh, I'm, I've been sick all week. The boys have been sick. He's got two sons. They've been sick all week. We've had the flu. And, uh, you know, I haven't been able to pray. And I told everybody to pray. And it's a week to pray. And I've been so sick and tired. I can't pray. I can just tell in his voice, he's just so defeated. And he's feeling like behind it all that, man, I've really let God down. I've really disappointed him. And I just had to remind him, look, hey, grace it's God's grace. You're sick. He knows you're sick. Don't worry about it. He loves you. And you know, whether it's through sickness or it's just through weakness or whatever the case, <clears throat> when we fail to be faithful, God's grace is still there. It doesn't leave. If it did, it wouldn't be grace. That's the whole point. See, grace is there not because you earned it. It's there not because you deserve it. 
It's not there as a reward. It's there because that's the heart of God. He has grace for us. So maybe you didn't do those things that you uh, had planned to do. Or on the other hand, maybe you did things that you shouldn't have done. You know you shouldn't have done them. Maybe you said things that you shouldn't have said, thought things you shouldn't have thought, did things, went places, whatever the case. And here you are. What's God's word toward you? What's his, what's his attitude in relation to all that? His attitude is grace. It's one of, come on, let's go. Get up. Let's dust you off. Let's get you going again. That's, that's the heart of God. So whatever the case might be. Now, perhaps you are like Paul was. Remember, he was a servant. He was an apostle by the will of God. Uh, maybe you're a servant living in the thing that God has called you to. But yet, likewise with yourself, you realize that, you know, I, I, haven't, uh, boy, I haven't really lived up to my calling recently. I haven't been as diligent as I should have been. I haven't been as disciplined. I haven't been as serious. I haven't been as committed. I haven't been, you know, as devoted to this, this wonderful privileged thing that God has you know, allowed me to be part of. Again, what do we do with that? What, what's God's heart? What would he say to us? Well, listen, there's grace. God's grace is there to cover that. I look back over 30 years plus of being in a position of, of serving God in, you know, in a pastoral role, leading a church and things like that. And you know, I look back and I think, Lord, it is an absolute uh, it is just a monument to grace the way you have allowed me to just keep going in my, my service to you. You know, it's not uh, anything other than that. It, it, it's simply that. I look back at times where, you know, I was so flaky in my younger years. I was so irresponsible. I was, you know, pastoring a church and I was supposed to be doing this and that. And, you know, there are times I just out... You know, I was, out, I was out surfing. I should have been at the church. I should have been in the office. I should have been there, you know, helping people and doing things that pastors do, but I'm surfing. And I know that I should have been out of the water an hour and a half ago, but I just can't get that one final wave. And so I'm out there, I'm totally condemned, and I'm feeling miserable. And, you know, sometimes it was that, or sometimes it was like, you know, I should be home with my wife and the kids. I should be a better dad. I should be all of these things. But, you know, here I'm doing, you know, all of that to say, um, God's blessing and favor on my life, I'll just tell you straight up, I didn't earn it. It's God's grace. That's the way he works. He pours out his grace upon us. He meets us with that. So, you know, wh wherever you are, what, whatever place you're at today, this is what you need to know. God's word, whatever else it might be, his first word to you is grace. His words to you are grace and peace. And now even, even if you are the chief of sinners, as was Paul on the road to Damascus, Maybe you're on a road similar to what Paul was on. It was the wrong road. He was going down a sinful path. He was intending harm to people. And 
how did God meet him on the road to Damascus? What did he meet him with? He didn't meet him with wrath. Now, you would think if there was anybody that should have been met with the wrath of God, it would have been this guy, right? Do you think there were any Christians at the time that were thinking about this man who was a known persecutor? He was the one who was breathing out uh, you know, death threats against the, the disciples of the Lord. He was stirring up everything. Do you think there was anybody that was saying, oh, Lord, save this man, Paul? Do you think there was anybody that was expecting him to turn around like he did? I personally don't think there was. I think if there were prayers going out for Saul of Tarsus, it was, Lord, kill him and kill him now. Lord, strike him dead. Get rid of this guy. He's a nuisance. He's a pestilence. Lord, look what he's doing to your church. Wipe him out. Pour out your wrath on him. You know, it's just like we would, it's a similar thing to, you know, what we would think about today. You know, there are people today that are hostile toward the faith. And they're on a, a mission to uh, attack the church and Christians in our, in our current cultural situation. There, there truly is, coming from Hollywood, coming from much of the media, coming from elements of the government, there is a war against Christianity. And when we think about those who are leading the charge... What are we thinking about? Oh, Lord, bless those guys. No, we're thinking, Lord, smite them. Lord, deal with them. Wipe those sinners out. Pour your wrath on them. That's the kind of, that's the kind of person Paul was. He was a persecutor. He says he was a violently arrogant man. But how did Jesus meet him on the road to Damascus? He met him with grace. He met him with grace. That's how God meets us. That's where he meets you today. Even if you're on a road similar to the Damascus road, God stands in the middle of that road today and he says, grace and peace to you. Now you see that grace is what takes and changes a life. That's how it happens. It's through the grace of God as we just simply accept it. As we let it come to us, that's how the the transformation results. So this man, Paul, who wrote this letter, goes from being the greatest persecutor of the faith to the greatest uh, proclaimer of the faith in his day. What was the difference? It was the grace of God. It was grace that changed this man. And that's what he said. Let me again remind you of his words. He said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violently arrogant man, but I obtained mercy. And listen to this. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which were in Christ Jesus. Jesus met Saul of Tarsus, the vicious, hateful killer of Christians, he met him with an abundance of grace and love. And that's what changed him. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And he met him when he was bent toward the destruction of his people. Now, understand this. Grace meets us not even when we are 
at the point of saying, okay, I'm wrong, I give up. I mean, that can happen. And that does happen at times. But you know, grace can even meet us before that. There's no doubt in my mind. There, there was nothing in the mind of Saul that day that had any um, you know, regrets about what he was doing or any of that. Now, Jesus says he was kicking against the goads, which means he was resisting the overtures of God that had already come toward him. How, what kind of overtures had come? Well, remember, he was there when Stephen was stoned. He was instigating it. He was helping out with the killing of the first Christian martyr. And yet what was happening? He was hearing the story of the gospel by Stephen before they killed him. And he was resisting it. No, that was his attitude. No, no, don't say that. I I don't want to hear that. I'm not going to believe that. Jesus can't be the Messiah. And then when it came time to kill Stephen, yes, kill him. Get rid of that voice. He's kicking against the goats. Jesus said, it's hard for you to keep doing that. But you see, it was, my point is this. He did not come to repentance. Then the Lord met him. The Lord met him. Then he came to repentance. See, God is going to meet you with his grace right where you're at. That's what we need to understand. His grace is right there. Wherever you're at today, God's grace is right there to meet you. Now, if you, if you continue to resist it and you continue to kick against the goad, so to speak, things will get more and more difficult. But the fact of the matter is, right now, this moment, wherever you are in your mind, wherever you are in your heart, you might be here in your body, you might be watching on the internet or listening over the radio, uh, but your, your heart, your mind, your soul, your spirit, everything about you somewhere else in the sense that you're in sin, you, you intend to stay in sin, you might be even on a, on a road to do harm or whatever, God's grace is right there, right now, this minute, to take you where you're at. It's exceeding abundant grace. It's in faith and love. And it's this grace that will take you and transform your life if you will but simply let it happen. Just say, okay, that's it. Jesus meets him purely by grace. He falls to the ground. The question is, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He's already wising up. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Lord, what would you have me to do? God's grace meets us where we're at. And all we do is respond. And so today, this is the word. This is where it all starts. This is God's word to us wherever we're at. If we are God's people today, walking in favor with him, serving him, even though we might be flaky at times or unfaithful or whatever, you know, his word to us is grace and peace. His blessings upon us. And we just need to rest in that. We just need to trust in that. We need to know that's the heart of God for us today. And if you're running from God, if you're rebelling against God, the grace of God is right there to receive you and 
the great thing is this, God's grace never leaves us where it finds us. It always takes us and makes us the people that we are supposed to be. And that's what happened with this guy. And that's why the, the man who was violently arrogant and destroying the church, that's why he's now the author of half of the New Testament. And he spends the rest of his life going around the world proclaiming this gospel of Jesus Christ that saved a wretch like him. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. I once was lost, now I'm found, was blind, now I see. Saul of Tarsus easily could have written that song because that was his story. That's my story. That's your story. That's our story. That's the story of anybody who's saved. It's God's grace. But it's not just God's grace that saves us. It's God's grace that greets you every single morning when you get out of bed. God's right there. The Bible tells us his mercies are new every morning. And you know what? That applies to his grace as well. His grace and peace are right there. That's his word to us today and every day. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of all grace. You're the God of peace. And Lord, how we thank you that you met us in your grace. You saved us by your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you keep us going because of your grace. Oh, Lord, we are so, so thankful for your grace. Lord, you know our tendency to default to works and performance. You know our tendency uh, is to feel when we fail that we are out of your favor and we are unable to approach you. And all. Lord, help us to learn the lessons of grace. And Lord, may those today, the saints, the faithful, but maybe not as faithful as they want to be or should be. Lord, but may they know today that there's grace. There's grace. And Lord, for your servants, those who are serving, Lord, those areas where we fall short, where we don't live up to our calling, thank you, Lord, that there's grace for us. And Lord, even for that person who's either gone away from you in rebellion or, or that person that's never come near, but somehow they're near today, near enough to hear this word. Lord, may they know today your grace is right there to meet them, to greet them, and to save them and to transform them. 